So Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 38, which says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, this is, this is one of the most famous parts of the Sermon on the Mount, I guess. If, if you did a bit of a survey in the street and said, do you know any of the Sermon on the Mount, this might be one of the bits that comes up along with maybe the next bit as well about loving your neighbor. Um, but uh, it may well be that that actually becomes a problem because we can have an idea in our minds of what we think this means uh, and what Jesus is getting at. And we might be right, um, but we might not be. And so it's important um, that we don't look at this verse out of context. We've got to see this verse, or these verses, as part of what has gone before. Um, And some people, I guess, if this is a a passage that they they kind of want to get into, they might think, well, let's just go straight to it. Why Why do we have to go through all of the other stuff about the Beatitudes and murder and fulfillment of the law and salt and light? Well, the reason we do that is because that sets the scene, that sets the context that we can understand passages like this in. In fact, all of these um, passages we've been looking at recently are all in the context of what Jesus was saying in the Beatitudes when he was saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, He's now looking at a more practical and specific outworking um, and showing us the sort of people that that God is making us. He's saying God is making you like this, like pure in heart, in this way. So, before we get into some specifics on this passage about what it means, it would be good to look at some, uh, make a few general comments uh, about it, so we can see where Jesus is coming from. First of all, this passage here about um, where Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, don't be doing the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, has been used to argue for all kinds of things over history, over time. Um, for example, people have argued uh, about pacifism and saying, well, we should, we should be pacifists. We, should, we shouldn't ever go to war because of this. Uh, this, is, this is what Jesus was saying here, they say. Um, some people would say, well, this passage is obviously saying that if there's evil people, they must go unpunished. So we don't punish evil people at all. There's no need uh, for, for the law courts and, uh, and prisons because we're not to resist evil people. We're not to, um, we're just to sort of, uh, yeah, not resist them. Um, they would also say, well, Christians shouldn't sign up for the army. You shouldn't get Christians in the army because this, of this passage. Uh, some people would say, well, you shouldn't get people sign- Christians signing up to go into the police or to be judges um, because they're pronouncing judgments uh, on things. Well, let's see if that is the case. Let's see what Jesus is really getting at, what this passage is really getting at. Um, the passage Jesus quotes here, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, uh, there's a couple of places in the Old Testament We could find it, but one is Leviticus 24 uh, and verse 17. So this is the passage uh, relating to what Jesus is saying in the Old Testament, which says, verse 17 of Leviticus 24, If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he's done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. 
As he's injured the other, so he is to be injured. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a man must be put to death. You have to have the same law for the alien and the native-born. I am the Lord your God. So this is God setting out the law, and uh, he's, he's setting out this principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This wasn't just something that uh, people have randomly come up with. It wasn't even an invented rule of the Pharisees. This goes back to what God said in the Old Testament. So you think, well, okay, is Jesus contradicting God here? No, he's not. He's not contradicting what God has already said in the Old Testament. The law in the Old Testament was established for uh, a courtroom situation, a, a general justice situation, so that justice would be done and order and law would prevail. It set up a very simple standard. If someone broke a man's arm, then they were to have their arm broken. If they took out someone's eye, then the punishment was their eye would be taken out. If they killed someone, the punishment was that they themselves would be put to death. It administers justice, but what it also does is it prevents things from getting out of hand. So, for example, you don't, uh, you don't go to court and say, this guy's taken my eye out, you know, and they just go, oh, that's terrible, he should be put to death. No, that's too extreme a punishment. If it's an eye taken out, then the, then the punishment is, well, your eye will be taken out, not that you'll be put to death. We have similar laws today, I guess, don't we? Um, this day, you know, if you go to court, there's, there's uh, maximum and minimum penalties that are laid out for judges. Judges cannot, in a certain circumstance, just go, oh, you know, I just feel like letting this guy off a little bit, going really easy on him. There's a minimum penalty that the judge has to give. But there's also a maximum. You can't get a really harsh judge who says, this is terrible. You know, you've stolen off this woman. She's really poor. You know, this circumstance, you know, deserves far higher punishment. You know, 10 years imprisonment. No, that's extreme. So we have maximum and minimum sentences that are given. And that's kind of what God was setting up in the Old Testament. He said that, you know, there's a standard. You break someone's arm, you'll have your arm broken. Everyone knows where it's at. And And it prevents things getting out of hand and escalating. But what the Pharisees and the uh, other teachers of the law would do and taught, and it, and it spread into society, is that this principle was taken out of the court of law and it was put in to the personal arena, the personal life. So personal vendettas were coming into everyday life. Someone would do something to offend someone or to dishonor them. They think, right, I need to get my own back on that. And they didn't just limit it to doing exactly the same thing. They were, they were like taking it to, uh, to extremes sometimes. Um, it's, uh, it's all linked into the idea of honor and not allowing yourself to be dishonored. So feuds would develop. People would take law into their own hands. I guess we see it today in Sheffield even with gang fighting and, and shootings. So when Jesus is addressing this this principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which sometimes was being stuck to, but often was just getting out of hand. Jesus wasn't addressing a court situation. He wasn't addressing a legal situation. He was talking to individuals and saying, what about in your life? He wasn't commenting on the need for law. He wasn't commenting on the need for prisons. He wasn't commenting on the need for police or armies or judgments. He's talking about what is going on in individuals' hearts. 
So that's the first thing. That's the context. He's not setting himself up against what God has established. Secondly, it's also important to note that this teaching that Jesus brings is only for those of us who know God through Jesus. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's not setting out principles that everyone in society should live by. He's not saying this, uh, these are the general rules of society. Because actually, people won't be able to do that. Some people think that that's what Jesus was doing in, these, in this Sermon on the Mount. They're saying he's, he's taking the old set of rules, the old law, the old covenant and principles, and he's, he's kind of ditching those, and instead, he's setting up a new set of rules, which are even harder to follow, even, even tougher, even more demanding to replace those of the, of the old law and of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's not. He's not doing that. He's not setting up a new set of regulations. We need to realize that when we're reading any of these passages, where God is genuinely challenging us on, on issues in, of our heart and our life, but he's not setting up a new set of rules. It's a faith response which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's for those of us who know God, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Finally, before we get into the detail of of some examples that Jesus gives, let's be clear, Jesus, it ties in with the last one I've just said really, Jesus isn't setting out a list of situations in these these next four things we'll look at about uh, hitting you on the cheek or going one mile or giving to someone. He's not setting out a list of situations and then telling you exactly what to do in those situations. That's what the law did. The law was set out and then increasingly detailed regulations for all of these different circumstances. Well, what if this happens and what in that circumstance? If you read the Old Testament uh, law, there's many different scenarios, you know, about what to do in, if, if in this circumstance. For example, taking what I said last week about making an oath. If someone makes an oath, then they're bound by it. But, um, you know, it says if, if a father can override the oath that's made by his daughter. And there's different situations, different circumstances. Well, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not setting out detailed regulations. It says, the New Testament says, here you are, men and women of God. You now have got God's law written on your hearts. You've got God's Holy Spirit living inside you to empower you. Here are some godly, radical principles Go and apply these principles in your day-to-day life. He's not saying when you go to work and your boss says this, then you have to do this. No, you've got it in your heart. You apply it in your life. We apply it together. And it it can be good to discuss specifics sometimes and raise things, and maybe that's happened in core groups these last few weeks. It can be good to give illustrations Uh, When I'm preaching, I try and give illustrations to illustrate the point. But it it doesn't mean that's a new law. We're not back under law. We're not giving out, well, in this circumstances, you must do this. It's raising the point, raising illustrations, principles that we can apply, godly principles. So in looking at these four illustrations that Jesus gives, we want to see the principles that that he's outlining so that our lives can change. Jesus could have chosen other examples to give to make the same point. He probably does make other, give other illustrations to make the same point in the rest of the New Testament. Now, I'm stressing this a little bit because I've become aware in this last week from several conversations that I've had with different people that um, 
Many people have taken what I preached last week in different ways. So some people, I hope many people, uh, have seen some of the examples and illustrations I gave as just that. Illustrations which highlight the general principle of, last week we were looking at telling the truth and doing what you say you will. But I've heard some have heard it as setting out new laws for very specific situations. So uh, saying, okay, right, now... There's a rule that if we are rotored, this is what people might think, if we're rotored onto the coffee team, um, and uh, I, whoever heads up the coffee team, I think it's, who does it? Is it Christine? Uh, if, if Chris comes and heads up the coffee team and, and gives me my rotor, and I look at that and go, yep, yep, I'll be there, that's fine, then I have to stick to it. But if she gives me the rotor, and I think, and I just go, oh, thanks, then I don't have to stick to it. And, and because, because I've not said I will. And you can get into this kind of way of thinking. Actually, it's what the Pharisees were doing to start off with. That's exactly what they were doing. They were saying, oh, if you swear to this, you have to, you, then you have to keep your oath. If you don't, you don't. Look, Jesus isn't setting out a whole new set of cir- circumstances and situations for the coffee rota and the worship team. And if you do, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. It's easy, though, to slip into hearing things in that way. We can default to hearing things legalistically and specifically. But on the other hand, neither is Jesus ignoring the way we live. That's the other wrong understanding that we can have in some of his teaching here in the New Testament. So people could well have come up with these interpretations. These are some of the things that I've kind of heard around. Some people say, well, actually, what what Jesus is teaching here is there's, there's forgiveness, isn't there? And so when we don't meet the stand, so we don't meet the standard, and so grace means actually we don't need to worry too much about it. We can pretty much live our lives and uh, do our best, but if we mess up, well, we'll be forgiven anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Now Jesus isn't saying it doesn't really matter. Yeah, there's forgiveness. Of course, there's forgiveness. That's what Jesus died for, but not so that it doesn't matter. Other people might think, well, actually, what what it's about is Jesus was just making things a bit easier for us. So in the example of taking vows, he was just saying, well, don't make vows to God, because if you make vows to God, then you're going to have to keep them. Just say yes or no, because the standard's not as high then, and you you know, you don't have to keep them so much. You just say yes or no, you're not subject, but if you say, oh, I'm I'm swearing to God I will, oh, that's serious. So actually, we, we maybe just lower the standard a bit. Jesus is just giving us some advice to make life a bit, a bit easier. So the penalty won't be as great if we fail. Or people might have heard it as saying, um, well, actually, Jesus isn't really that concerned about how we live at all. He's just, he's just really showing us what God's like here. So in last week's passage, at the end, I said, look, God is, God is someone who never lies. God is faithful. Well, that's the main point. The main point is that God is faithful. God never lies. It's kind of a comforting message that we can be secure in that. It doesn't really challenge us in how to live our own lives. Now, God's not saying, Jesus isn't saying any of those things. He's very concerned about how we live our day-to-day lives. But he's not introducing a new set of rules. He's not introducing a new legalism. He's established a way of the Spirit, a new way of the Spirit, by which we can apply these godly principles into our lives day-to-day. 
Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. This is why it's so important to keep going back to the context, to the Beatitudes, what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And remember, if you were here when I preached on that, I stressed time and time again, this is not a tick list. This is not a list of of criteria, a a job description where you have to say, yeah, definitely have that, definitely have that, definitely have that, okay, I'm now acceptable to God. He's not saying you'll be blessed if you meet all these things. He's saying, I am making my people into this. I am changing you. So when he gives specific, he's not saying, he goes on specifics, he's not saying, but actually you've got to do all these things for me to be accepted to be acceptable to me. He's saying, no, this is what I'm changing you into. This is a specific way in which I'm making you more meek. This is a specific way in in which I'm making you more poor in spirit. That's what he's doing. As he's making us into peacemakers, we will be increasingly those who don't harbor anger towards a brother. And we'll quickly go and sort it out. That's what he talked about in verses 21 onwards. As God is making us poor in spirit, we won't want to exaggerate to make ourselves look better. And we'll tell the truth. And as we'll see, as God is making us meek and not concerned to defend our own honour and reputations, we can be those who turn the other cheek. It's only possible to live like this if we know God and we have his spirit in us. And that's why we couldn't have jumped straight to this passage. It's built on the foundations that have come before in the Beatitudes. Okay, That's my introduction. (laughs) So whatever comes next is in that context. All right? We got it? Good. What are the underlying principles that Jesus has got here? Well, let's look at these four illustrations that he gives. Verse uh, 39. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay. Well, well, we'll do a bit of a practical example here. Who wants to come and slap me on the right cheek? You don't get this offer every day. But seriously, someone can. <laughs> so first one up. Yeah, right at the back, Tom Lee, come on. Man, he's coming a long way. He's going the extra mile to do this. <laughs> well done, Tom. <laughs> no rubbing your hands. <laughs> Or is that just to warm them for me? <laughs> right, slap me on the right cheek. On the right cheek. Yeah. How hard? Doesn't specify. <laughs> He's going to turn the other cheek in a minute. <laughs> now, my immediate response is to lay back in. <laughs> no. no, that'll do. I'm not turning the other cheek yet. I'm just uh... <laughs> You could have done that much harder. No good sitting at the front waiting for you. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Now, did you, actually, before he went, I should have, I should have shown. Because I said the right cheek, which is what Jesus said. So Tom's there. Now, Tom, are you right-handed or left-handed? You are left Oh, that's interesting. He is left-handed. Okay. Because to hit my right cheek, he had to hit me with his left hand. Or the other way of doing it, I guess, was use your right hand and go with the back of your hand. <laughs> Many and varied ways. <laughs> actually... The people hearing what Jesus was saying would have known what that meant. To, to hit someone with the back of your hand, assuming you're right-handed, is, is very dishonoring. It's, it's worse than hitting them with the palm of your right hand. Also dishonoring is hitting someone with the left hand. 
All right? So either the back of your right hand or your left hand is a sign of real dishonoring of that person. And that's what Jesus is partly talking about here. He's talking about the fact that when we are dishonored before others, we have a desire in us to defend our honor, to revenge ourselves, to get our own back, to stand up for, our, for what we feel has just been humiliated and dishonored. And so our desire is to pay back and to actually escalate things. Um, so like I said, a slap with the back of the hand or the left hand is doubly dishonoring. It is dishonoring to get a slap on the face anyway. But a left hand or back of the hand was doubly dishonoring. And our, our immediate response that rises up within us when we're dishonored is to get our own back, to stand up for our honor, to reassert what we feel has been, has been uh, humiliated. And it doesn't have to be a physical thing. What Jesus is teaching is relevant to a verbal insult as well. When someone says something to us which is dishonoring, or even a look that might be given. You know, you, you kind of get that, don't you? You're looking at me. You're looking at me. And it's kind of that aggressive, you know, you're looking at me, that's disrespecting me. There's a look there. All right, so I'm going to get my, you know, I'm going to threaten, I'm going to reassert myself. Or even just ignoring someone, just blanking someone. I'm going to walk at that. Someone says hello, just walk past as though you've not heard them. Dishonoring. And, and, and it, it does something in us. It rises up straight away. You will know. I mean, I invited Tom to come, and, to come and slap me on the face. So I knew it was coming. But if I didn't, and someone just came up and did that, what are you doing? it would rise up in us straight away, in all of us. How do we respond? How do we react to that as God's people? How do we respond to insult and criticism? Do we want to defend ourselves as what... Uh, from what's been said. Someone says something about us. Do we want to say, well, no, it's not like that. I'm not like that at all. And while I'm at it, let me tell you some home truths about yourself and start laying into them. Easy to get into. Jesus is saying, don't defend yourself in this situation. He's already said in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He will make it clear to everyone on the last day. In Luke 14, Jesus tells the story, or he gives an illustration. Um, Luke 14, the passage, I guess, goes um, from verse 7. When he talks about how people get invited to the wedding feast, and, and some people take their place of honor at the highest point of the table, and, some, and he's saying, don't do that, um, because you might be told to go and sit further down the table. He says, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he'll invite you up to the better place. And the principle that he's saying here is in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he's saying, don't, don't try and and push, press forward your honor. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself. John Piper says this. I think this is very helpful. It's better to be thought worse than you are now. It's better to be thought of worse than you are and have the Lord set things right on the last day than to be thought of better than you are and have Jesus put you in your place. 
in the end. Far better to have people misunderstand you, dishonour you, and you think, oh, it's okay, God will justify. On the last day, all things will be made clear. Far better to have Jesus show everyone what it's really like than for you to press yourself forwards, to oversell yourself, to make out that you're better than you are, and for Jesus to put you in your place. Paul puts this very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse uh, 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, he says this. Well, let me just give you a background. He knows that the Corinthians have been saying some very unkind things about him. He's established the church in Corinth, but now there are factions that have developed uh, where some people were boasting about Apollos and his wonderful teaching, and others were saying, well, I'm following Cephas. He's the man for me. And some of them were being very critical and insulting about Paul in a very personal way. And this is what Paul says in verse 3. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't make me innocent. So he, he says, it's the Lord who judges me. So he's saying my conscience is clear. I don't feel I need to defend myself. I don't feel I need to stand up for myself. I'm happy with what I've done. My conscience is clear. I'm not innocent, you know. Jesus still needed to die for me, but it's the Lord who judges. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. He's saying, don't judge other people. Don't judge their hearts. Don't respond when you are. When you are attacked, it's all right. God will will vindicate. God will be the judge, not... I don't need to assert my rights. It's what, it's what Jesus was saying, isn't it, about being meek. We looked at being meek. What is it to be meek? Not to rise up, not to defend yourself. Moses didn't do that. He was attacked. He didn't rise up. He didn't defend his honour. He lets God do it. It's not easy to do. We do need the Lord's Spirit. Even Paul himself struggled. Just use this example to show how it doesn't... <laughs> We do need forgiveness when we don't act like this. Acts 23. So Paul himself. um, Acts 23, before the Sanhedrin. He's standing there uh, from verse 1. He says, My brothers, I fulfill my duty to God and in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Does Paul turn the other cheek? No. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. Yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And uh, those standing near said, oh, you dare to insult God's high priest. And he goes, oh, uh, I didn't realize it was the high priest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See, he's reacted a bit there. So there's hope for all of us. (laughs) No one is infallible. It does need God's spirit inside us. Let's remember, it's a principle. It's a principle, not a law. It, it, so it doesn't mean that we don't intervene on someone else's behalf. You know, it doesn't mean if we see someone laying into someone else, either physically or verbally, we just stand by and say, oh, it's all right, God will justify him the last day. 
Just leave them to it. No, of course we stand up for someone else. Of course we uh, seek justice and seek righteousness. It doesn't mean that if some drunk comes up and starts attacking you, that you stand there and let him. So it's, it's not talking... So this is what I'm saying about... Let's not just apply a principle and say, right, in this every situation, this is what I must do. I must turn the other cheek when... So, you know, I remember when I was young, someone attacked me uh, and, and laid into me for... for a, they thought I'd gone off with someone with their girlfriend. I hadn't. Um, so, but they, they were laying into me. Now, there were three of them, so I couldn't do a lot. But I didn't just think, oh, I'm just going to take this. You know, because it was, it was coming at me like that. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, we must not just be keen to defend our honor. Are we going to allow God to defend us, to prove us righteous as, as we are, to show what we are like, to show what's in our hearts? Or are we going to do it ourselves? Are we allow, how much are we allowing God to make us meek? Okay, secondly, suing for a tunic. Verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat or your cloak as well. Um, Which obviously is more than they're asking for. Um, So what he's saying here is, if someone is suing you for something, if someone is taking you to court or someone is saying, I want this off you, then actually give them them more uh, than they're giving. In other words, don't insist on your rights. Let me explain what I mean by that. When someone was sued or, or sometimes gave something of them, themselves as, as an oath as to that they're going to do something, they're going to pay more money back later, like a deposit or something like that, they would give something. And uh, in Exodus 22, God sets out some regulations here. Exodus 22 and verse 25 If you lend money to one of the people among you who's needy, don't be like a money lender. Don't charge him any interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So God was, and there's other places in the Old Testament as well where where God makes this point, that the cloak actually is partly there for, for physical comfort. If you've not got anything, if you're very poor, if you're, if you're sort of really needy, it could be the only thing you've got to sleep in. So God says, you know, don't take the cloak off them. You can take other things. They could say, well, I owe you this much money. I'll give you, I'll give you this, this and my cloak. That's fine. But God says, give it back to them when it gets nighttime because they need to sleep in it. You know, I'm compassionate on people. Yes, they might owe you. But actually, don't, don't take that. There's certain things which, which are beyond what I will allow. So when, it says, when Jesus says, if someone is suing you and wanting something off you, maybe you genuinely owe them some money. Maybe you are in debt. They say, well, I'm going to have to take you to court because you're not paying me. So I'm going to sue you for your tunic. The person would have known they couldn't sue them for their, for their cloak. Because that was more than God would allow, even if they owed and Jesus is saying, don't just be all defensive and insist on your rights. He says, give them your cloak as well. Don't be saying, well, having my cloak is my right before God. It's my, it's my right. I'm keeping the cloak. No, Jesus is saying, don't be so hot to insist on your rights. Give them your cloak. You might suffer injustice. You might suffer, 
suffer poverty as a result. And obviously, increasingly, we know in our society how concerned people are about their rights. And Jesus is keen to show that now, in our godly nature, he's making us poor in spirit. And if we're poor in spirit, we don't insist on our rights. We don't say, it's my right to have this. I should have this. No, he's saying, no. Give them your cloak as well. Don't insist on your rights. Yes, you may suffer injustice, but don't insist on your rights. A great example of this several years ago, which, which really struck me, was, was with Arnold. Um, and he, uh, they were in a situation with their roof where they found woodworm uh, and rotting all the way through their, the roof of their house. And it was going to cost a lot of money, thousands and thousands of pounds, which they didn't have. And the legal advice that was given to them was by someone in the church, actually, who was a lawyer, but, which was right, it was the legal advice, it was nothing wrong that this guy did. He said, well, actually, you can sue, you can sue the surveyor, because the surveyor had, had said, the roof's fine. He said, well, he'll be covered by insurance, he's not going to suffer any loss, really, his insurance will cover it, you can sue him, you can get the money, you can get, you can get your roof sorted out, because obviously they needed the roof sorting out. So that was his Right? And then someone else in the church spoke to him and said, look, I feel that this surveyor has never known anything about God's grace. And you're too, I feel that God's, I submit this to you, but I feel that God's saying you should not sue him. You should let him off. So Arnold's hearing this and thinks, great, okay. I've got to pay 15,000 pounds, whatever it was. But is God saying this? He felt that that was what God was saying to him. Don't insist on your rights. He rang the surveyor and said, look, you're at fault. The, the surveyor's getting all defensive. Well, I'm not... He said, no, just, just a minute. Just a minute. He said, I've not come to say, I'm going to sue you. He said, actually, the advice that I've had is that legally I could sue you. Because, because you said it, it was fine and, it, and it's not. He said, but actually, I've decided I'm not going to do that. And he, I, I don't know if he explained a little bit about the reasons behind that. This guy was... All the wind's taken out of his... You know, his aggressiveness was gone. You're not. He was ready for the fight. Oh, no. Not insisting on the rights. It's a different way. It's the way of the Spirit. Arnold puts the phone down. He's done what God asked him to do. He still has to pay £15,000. Well, actually, God vindicated him because then through the post in the next week or so, a cheque for far more than £15,000 came from someone not even in Sheffield, someone who didn't even know the situation. God vindicates. It's God who justifies. We can, we can look to stand up for our rights and make sure we get all that's owed to us. But actually, when we come before God, what do we say? Do we, we can't say that to God. God, give us what we deserve. The grace of God is that he doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve only God's wrath. And it's his grace that he doesn't give us that. How could we stand up and say, well, we, deserve, we owe this? Jesus told another parable about that, didn't he? The unmerciful servant who was forgiven, but yet said, I I want this money off you. And he was hauled back before the judge and he said, look, I forgave you, but you won't forgive him. How can we demand our rights when God in his wonderful love and mercy doesn't give us what we are owed? Again, it's a principle It's not a specific law. So that doesn't mean 
that if you are take, someone sues you for something, that, oh no, I have to do this. I don't. No, it's a principle. God's working it in our hearts. He's making us into this sort of person. Doesn't mean we can look for loopholes. Oh, it's okay. As long as someone sues us for some money, that's all right. I will defend my rights all I can. I'm just praying no one sues me for my tunic. Because if he does, I'll have to give him my cloak. It's not saying that. (laughs) And again, it's important that we do speak up when it comes to injustice on behalf of others. And in society in general. Thirdly. Going the extra mile, verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What Jesus is talking about here is that the Roman occupiers, the people, the Romans were occupying the land. And they had uh, the authority, the right, to, if they were transporting a lot of heavy material, um, they could sort of second and get any of the Jewish people to carry it for them. They could do it up to a mile. So that was the legal limit that as far as they could go, they could choose anyone and say, right, carry this for a mile. We see that in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament with Simon of Cyrene in Matthew 27. Matthew 27 where Jesus was uh, where the, the, carrying the cross. And it says, Matthew 27 verse 42. No, it doesn't. Um, 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. That was just what they could do. They could force someone to carry heavy things for them up to a mile. And obviously this is resented by the Jewish people. You know, these people are occupying the land anyway. They didn't invite them in. They're the the kind of enemy. They were the ones who they wanted the Messiah to come and defeat. And then they're being forced to carry this this heavy, heavy stuff for a mile. And Jesus here then is commenting on our natural resentment of things. Like taxes. Like government legislation. Like things our boss might ask us of to do. Which we think, that's not fair. That's not right. And Jesus is saying, don't just go take it for one mile. Take it for two. Anything that we feel is unjust. Jesus is saying, don't just protest about it. Don't, don't argue. Don't look for a way of getting out of what they're asking you to do. Actually do more than they're asking you to do. And that will be a real witness to people. If you've got a boss who is, who is giving you things unfairly and say, right, you know, I, I, I know you're supposed to clock off at five, but I want you to stay till six o'clock tonight. I want you to stay an extra hour and get this work done. Stay till seven. Go further than they're asking you to do. It will be a real witness. It's a, it's, it's a great kingdom difference that no one in the world would do that. Jesus is saying, don't resent. Don't have a bitter attitude to authority, especially when it's being unfairly imposed. I haven't got much time to, we can develop that more, but I I want to move on to the last one. Um, Finally, give to those who ask, verse 42, give to the one who asks you, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I guess this one sums it all up, because all of the others are kind of um, uh, situations where someone is definitely being unfair to you. Someone is definitely sort of either making you do something or striking you, insulting you, suing you, where you can feel, you know, I've got to vindicate myself, I've got to stick up for myself. This one actually 
isn't. It, looks, it could look as though it's, it stands out a little bit. How does this fit? Actually, it sums it up. It sums up what Jesus is saying. Um, because it's directly addressing the issue of ourself. Our, of self. It's not legalism. And we can interpret it in a, in a literal way, which just makes it silly. So that, you know, anyone who asks you for anything, right, of, course, of course, legalistically, I've got to give you that, and I've got to give you that. And so, you know, it, it's, he's not saying, if you're walking down the street and a beggar says, can I have a pound, please, that you've got to give a pound. He's actually not saying that. You might be thinking, well, I'm sure this guy's going to spend it on alcohol. You know, it's not going to be good for him. That's fine, actually. Because Jesus isn't legalistically setting out rules. He's addressing a principle. The principle is, um, are we concerned about our own interests first or about the interests of others? So he's, he's not addressing situations like that. He's not addressing... If, if you know someone who, is, who could easily go out to work, is just lazy, um, on benefits even just wanting handouts, and they ask you to do, you know, can you do this, can you give me this? And you just think, well, you're just lazy. And you, 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 could, you could help yourself here. He's not saying, do that. Do you, you know, we've got to reconcile it with other parts of the Bible. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. He's not saying if a man will not work, then, then God's people give him handouts. So it's not a literal legalistic interpretation. He's looking at what our attitude is to do with personal loss. Do we have a spirit of, well, what's mine is mine. What I have is mine. What I've, I've worked hard for this. And so it's mine, and no one else has got a right to it, so I'm not, no, they might want that, but I'm not going to give it. You know, why would that person, why should that person have the book that I've paid for? Why should they get it for nothing? You can buy your own book. In other words, do away with the whole issue of personal loss. Jesus isn't so much concerned about our attitudes towards others. He's concerned about our attitudes towards ourself in all of these things. He's not addressing what our attitude is to others. He's addressing what's our attitude towards ourself. What's our attitude in, in regard to revenge? What's our attitude when injustices are done to us? What's our attitude when we're dishonoured? What's our attitude when demands are made on us by the state? What's our attitude towards our personal possessions? What's our attitude towards ourself? And if we've grasped this, then we can see clearly why it takes someone who's been born again to live this kind of life. Because no one can hope to live like this unless they've been born again. No one can hope to live like this unless they've been forgiven. Unless they've got it un- un- understood. God, I come to you and I don't deserve anything apart from condemnation and wrath and hell. Because I see I'm a sinner. I've come to see that. I've come to see the love you poured out. I've come to see the grace that you give me. And so now I can live a different way. How can we live a different way unless we've understood that? It's only if we're God's children. And even then, 
It, so often it can be so uncomfortable. It brings challenge. We can think, oh, you know, we're being told to be different. No, we're being empowered to be different. We're being empowered to be different. We're not being told to be different. This is what Christ would want us to be, and he's making us more like him. We can't do it ourselves. But he wants us to take it seriously. Holiness isn't just something that we receive in a meeting. God, you've made me holy now. It's to be lived out. Holiness and righteousness in terms of our lives, living it out, is in day-by-day situations with our family, with our work, with our children, with the state, with people who say things or do things or anyone. And it all comes down to our attitude to ourselves. And it's not an unattainable goal. It's not some sort of utopian dream that Jesus was speaking about. It's not a standard to be condemned under. The law condemns. And this isn't replacement law. This is who God is making us. This is God transforming us by his spirit into a radical people who will consider him and others before ourselves. Who will make us meek. That's what he's talking about again. Blessed are those who are meek. And that, brothers and sisters, is who God is making us to be. Let's pray.